Hour number two of Canuck Central. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. This is a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited. This hour, you're humming, you're plumbing, humming, humming and heating wholesale. <laughs> are, you, are you thinking about humming or are you, are you thinking about, uh, was my mic off? No. No, okay. It's I think on. my ear... Plugs just your earplugs aren't working. And, no, no, they just kicked in and I almost went deaf. <laughs> great, great start to the hour, guys. <laughs> Humming along. <laughs> the problem Not is so we're much. we're laughing too much at our uh, <laughs> Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I didn't realize how mad people are about this. Uh... Too many men. Yeah, yeah. People don't like blown calls. Sat. Uh, <laughs> this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing <laughs> and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. <laughs> That is just <laughs> laughing. Uh, O'Fuzz oh, nice. uh, on the island. Uh, four seconds between players on and off, and Kadri takes the puck in the middle of the ice at the blue line. Looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad look. <laughs> uh, Eric reaches right about the call. Take the L, Sat. I never said the wrong. The call isn't wrong. I just said I don't think it's that egregious. Mm. That's what I said. We both agree that it's you know it is too many men on the ice. Uh, and this one, uh, best text of the day, uh, unsigned. This isn't Nam, Sat. Am I the only one who cares about the rules? Great reference. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. <laughs> well played. Oh, from the Big Lebowski. Terrific. Uh, anytime we can get a Big Lebowski reference in on the show. This is a Nam to our rules. So good. Appreciate our live listeners. You can listen live on the Sportsnet app on your smart speaker at home. Hey, play Sportsnet 650 and, of course, on your radio, 650 on the AM dial, 96.9 HD3 on the FM dial. Um, Don Gretz from Williams Lake. The way you fix too many men, <laughs> no coming on the ice until the player coming off is completely off the ice. I mean, you can do that. That could lead to more odd man chances and more chaos. Yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, like last night's play, you know, okay, so the Lightning are hemmed in their own end for yeah. a considerable amount of time. They get to the point where they're just flipping the puck out and trying to get a change, but it's a long change, mm-hmm. so they're unable to get everybody. They got tired legs going, trying to get to the yeah. bench, and they got a bunch of guys coming on, chasing the play back the other way because Kemper quick, quick ups it uh, – to the defenseman who then finds Kadri, who's on the ice 10 seconds too early, who's able to take advantage mm-hmm. of McDonough and Sergachev, who are just really uh, done. It, they've got nothing left in the tank, and he ends up scoring the goal. So that's that's really how it happened. It's the long change in overtime. It's all those factors coming in together at once. And our next guest, Justin Bourne, has a piece up about this now at sportsnet.ca of how this uh, – this was the talk in the war room with uh, Sheldon Keefe and the Toronto Marlies, how you want this exact situation to play out in games, Justin, and that's uh, that's what Colorado did last night. Yeah, you know, I think I set out to, to write that piece as a, a little bit of a rebuttal to the, um, I guess, the vibe that, they did, that Colorado didn't earn their win, that they got lucky, that the mm-hmm. refs are, got, you know, won them the game. It's like, you know, the better team, so often puts themselves in a position to get lucky. And that's what I saw watching that game. I a hundred percent think that's a missed call um, on, on the too many men. But if you go back five minutes, that's the fourth or fifth time 
the abs are quick upping a puck while, while Tampa Bay is struggling to get guys over the boards, chasing the play. Like it happens over and over and over. And then, you know, one, one thing goes wrong and it ends up in Tampa's net. Uh, real easy to say that, the, you know, that was the, the reason that Tampa Bay didn't win. When in the end, Colorado put mm. themselves in a the position to get that luck. Well, you know what that also signifies to me in, in a massive way, Justin, is for all the talk about how talented the Colorado Avalanche are and how good these individual players are. How about that coaching staff putting these players in the best position to have success? Yeah, no, that's a great call. And, you know, one of those decisions is having Kadri in the game. You know, do you want to wait till he's, you know, not 68%, but 74% or, you know, whatever it is, that's one of the things. And, you know, elevating Nachushkin, I think that was his, I don't know how many shifts he had in overtime, but he was a part of about six scoring chances. You know, these guys have just put themselves in, in good spots all the time. I even feel like, you know, when they went down, when they lost Sammy Gerrard, the way they used their D pairs and, you know, given Manson more opportunity, who was really effective in that overtime, uh, that Colorado coaching staff has, has done uh, a remarkable job. And let's face it, guys, Tampa's reeling. Like, they are hurt there. They're, it was an all-hard performance last night. But, you know, by the time that game was over, it, it looked like, Colorado was a significantly better hockey team. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the first period with how Tampa really uh, took it to Colorado, but obviously didn't build that big of a lead. And just as the game wore on, the speed of Colorado continued to to cause problems, and Tampa just doesn't – they feel like they've got nothing left in the tank right now, Justin. And it's kind of felt like that at different points of of this playoff. It's just – They've found a way to hang on and stay in games and get that one big goal against the run of play, but Colorado's just too good for that to happen. Well, you know, they're, they're team intangibles to me. You know, like we, we spend a lot of time, and I've been on this show a lot of times talking about, you know, what, what constitutes a good hockey team and how to build that hockey team and speed and skill. There's such emphasis on all those things. Um, but it's not a video game, you know, and in real life, you need guys that are willing to show that heart. And, you know, how many times have you seen lightning players go to the room with injuries, block shots? You know, we saw Maroon putting Sorelli's jersey on at intermission last game. Uh, the, these guys, have they know how to win. They believe in themselves, and they just never say die. So as much as I want to be like, yeah, it's not happening against Colorado, I mean, the Leafs had two chances to bury him and couldn't. The Rangers had two chances to bury him and couldn't. Colorado's going to have three. I think they probably will, but boy, I'm not betting against Tampa. Well, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, it, it, we're just so scared to bet against Tampa because they've just shown yeah. a way to, to dig in and dig deep. And you know, and and the thing is, as good as Vasilevsky's been at times in this series, how, do you think we've seen the best of Vasilevsky yet? And, and isn't that the scary part that maybe just maybe he has two or three really good games left in him all of a sudden? You know, I, I think we saw the best in him in that overtime last night. You know, yeah. whatever you think of the Kadri goal, I thought he was awesome. Like, he made, I don't know, eight great saves yeah. to keep Tampa Bay hanging around. So, yeah, I think he's got more. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons where, you know, we're talking about not betting against these guys. It would not blow my mind. Whatever his stats are in elimination games, you know, through the roof. So, no, not not going to bet against that guy in elimination games. But I don't know, man. Last night, that felt to me like... This it felt like a game that Tampa's supposed to win. Yeah. Like Colorado's coming hot, they're but 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 Tampa fought through everything. Vasilevsky's great, and I expected them to get that one goal. But boy, points out Sorelli's limping around. Like unless it was like Alex Kalorin last night, I don't know. 
it just felt like they were supposed to win, and now they're in a world of hurt. Yeah, now it's it, I, I don't see just how they're they're going to be able to do it, especially with all the injuries. And what kind of surprised me, I know it's heat of the moment, and, and Cooper, you know, probably saw the too many men almost before anybody else. Um, but but his post game uh, news conference, I know it was short, <laughs> but it it sounded like defeatist. It's almost like. Did I miss something? Was this the the four one game? Did Colorado just clinch the way the uh, way yeah. that the way that he was talking was just kind of startling to me? Yeah, you know, Kipper on our show this morning used the word grandstanding, and you know, I'm sure John Cooper was greatly affected by that outcome last night. But you just he, the man knows what he's doing, you know. Yeah. Like he he didn't incur a fine for criticizing the referee, but he sure got us all talking about it, didn't he? You know, like if he had just been like, we disagreed, you know, I kind of thought that could have been too many men or whatever. It maybe it's a smaller deal, but the way he went out there, the pains he took to praise the league. And, you know, he even said at one point, he's like, yeah, you know, the, the league wants the parody. They're breaking up great teams. And, and I love that about the league. It's like, no, you don't. You're a great <laughs> team. You don't want to be broken yeah. up. But he, he said everything he needed to say to get us talking about the way we're talking about it. It was a pivotal play. But again, I, I wanted to to try to pivot yeah. that focus back to Colorado and be like that that hockey team looked great last night and deserves some credit. Well, absolutely, and you know I, I picked Tampa to win this series. I don't feel good about it anymore, and I had some doubts yeah. about Colorado's defensive game and. They've really cleaned so much stuff up, man. Like we, we had this discussion, I think, a few weeks ago about, hey, Colorado defensively, McCarr defensively. Sometimes, you know, there are things you yeah. can, you know, expose. That's not happening, Justin. It's just not happening. Outside of that first goal, where where McCarr got bodied a little bit last night, like he's he's had almost no bad moments defensively. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. When I looked at the series, I was like, you can't tell me that like jack johnson and eric johnson like there's not going to be a blown yeah. something somewhere between those guys bowen byram's a rookie d-man you know mccarr hasn't been in these big moments like you know i was the same way i looked at that decor and i was like i don't know if they're going to be able to do all the right things consistently enough to keep that tampa bay team from getting where they want to get but you know it's tough to know how much to chalk up to legs and energy and whatever but tampa bay definitely looks a gear slower. If I had to calculate where I went wrong, because I'm with you, I predicted Tampa to win the series. Where I most went wrong, I just I thought Tampa Bay would be able to hang with a fast team because they hung with Toronto, who's fast. They hung with Florida, who's fast. They hung with the Rangers, who's fast. Colorado looks like ten times faster. So maybe mm-hmm. Tampa's just too run down, too tired, or maybe Colorado's that much faster. Whatever it is, the speed difference is just too big. Well, Colorado, I mean, just the way this team is built uh, kind of speaks to where the the game is headed and. And the whole idea of you know we just want to play offense more than we play defense, and and generally yeah. that means we're gonna we're gonna end up on the right side of the scoreboard. I just don't know how. Uh, well, maybe with the way the game is going, it's always getting faster. But it, this has got to be the fastest team I've I've ever seen, Justin. Yeah, I think so too. And you know what? It's interesting because for years, you know, all the talk has been that the speed and skill, the way the league is going, it's like oh well. You know, I think the Leafs and Dubas tried to get out ahead of it, and I'm speaking about them because I'm here, but, like, you know, they, they wanted to be the speed and skill team. It's just it never seemed to get there, and come the postseason, the big, strong physical team still won. It was still Boston. It was still St. Louis. It was still the Capitals. And, and all of a sudden, I think some people started to believe it's never going to go that way, that speed and skill is going to, you know, be the, be the thing that can do it. Here we are, and... Kale McCarr is lightning and McKinnon's lightning and Nachushkin's lightning. And these guys are so fast top to bottom, even that fourth line, 
you know, Cogliano and Helm, those guys in their primes are some of the best skaters in hockey. You know, Connor, it's just a really fast hockey team. And yeah, you saw what it's doing in Tampa Bay. Uh, the, the, the four check from Colorado is just so good. Tampa Bay can't break the puck out. Well, and, you know, as far as individual players go, it's funny because Nazem Kadri had such an incredible season as it is. But the question with him was in the postseason, is he going to be disciplined? Is he going to cost the team? Mm-hmm. Has there been a player who's changed his reputation more than Nazem Kadri, especially scoring that goal last night on what is still a surgically repaired broken thumb? Well, he deserves all the praise in the world for being all heart and caring and passionate and whatever. To me, it is very typical to Kadri to score an OT winner where we're like, did he cheat? Did he jump on the ice early? Like, did he, do, did he break the rules to make that happen? It's very perfect. The Kadri's goal would come on him pushing the boundaries of something and getting away with it. So I'm not giving him the totally different player reputation look as much as I think he's solidified a reputation as a guy who would do anything to win. Yeah, he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Uh, it, it's, it's crazy. Colorado has like two of these huge pieces that have uh, really been massive all postseason long, Kadri and Nachushkin. Now, I don't, I don't know if we expected Nachushkin to be uh, the player that he has become, and, but he's a fascinating player to me, Bourne, because he's got all of those tools, the two-way guy that can possibly put up 50 points. He helps your best players be mm-hmm. at their best. At the same time, I never want to pay that guy $6 million bucks in free agency. So it's it's a real tough spot for anybody that's saying, we really want Nachushkin. Yeah. No, it's, hey, man, <laughs> it's an unrestricted free agency in a nutshell is Nachushkin. And to a lesser extent here in Toronto, Mikheyev, it's like these guys had great seasons and you're probably, someone is going to pay them because there's, you don't get guys like that for free very often so someone is going to pay them and then it's just going to be a roll of the dice what are you going to get but you know Nachushkin what makes me feel more comfortable about him is turned 27 this year pretty so fairly young guy uh he got selkie votes this year right like this is a guy that when he doesn't have the puck is effective uh he drives play you know maybe you're not going to get the 30 goals he was on pace for this year you're probably not gonna but I think you get someone who's useful when he's not scoring so I'm less concerned about a guy like that that i am about like johnny goodrow who's like you're paying for points and if the points dry up what are you left with you know that that to me is a scarier proposition uh born we always appreciate the time make sure you beat my uh my bud the golf guy sam mckee on the course this summer okay <laughs> i'll do my best thanks for having me guys <laughs> uh there is uh justin born uh joining us uh kipper and born on sportsnet 590 the fan and some great work at sportsnet.ca course on hockey night in canada occasionally as well and on hockey central stan Richo and satyar shaw that, that question you know that is probably the best way to put it colorado put themselves in a position to really take advantage of mm-hmm. tampa bay and you make your own breaks in this league which is essentially what john cooper said yeah. this morning after he had uh, the night to sleep on uh, the uh, anger of last night. And you make your own breaks in this league, and Colorado has certainly been making their breaks all playoff long. You put yourself in that position, you yeah. know, and it's, it's like Justin mentioned in that cat, in, in that aspect of the quick ups and how they try to catch Tampa, and they did so many different times. That's great planning. That's great execution. And yeah, maybe they got away with one, but they're putting that team on its heels, and eventually it's coming through. It, it just kind of reminds me of, the, of of this one play that happened against the Canucks 
um, against the St. Louis Blues last year. And it was just so emblematic about, it was just such a perfect example of make your own luck and what that means. And it's so easy to say, oh, it just bounced off the guy and went in. It was a play where Marco Scandella, where they realized Vancouver wasn't really picking up defensemen yeah. coming down. They, they weren't kind of picking them up, going to the net. They weren't really picking them up. So they just kept going to the net every single time they had a chance and a guy was left open at the point. Marco Scandella. Yeah. Renowned off as a defenseman. <laughs> I mean, the puck cycles around, comes off the half wall, bounces off Scandella and goes in. Lucky goal, right? But you know where Scandella was? A defenseman for the Blues in the blue paint. Yeah. Because he knew. And he knew. And he made his own luck. You can call lucky, but if the defense was not there, it doesn't happen. And same thing for Colorado. So we can sit here and talk about calls, this and that, luck, and the y- yada, yada. You put yourself in a position and put a team on its heels consistently, you make your own luck. Uh, Mike G and another unsigned texter both making the point that Colorado has had an easier ride to the finals than Tampa Bay. Tampa went through Maple Leafs, Panthers, Rangers. That's a murderer's row. Avs, Preds, Blues, Oilers. That's from Mike G. I mean, yeah, I guess to a certain extent, but uh, Oilers, like, they swept the best player on the planet. You know, yep. I'm not just going to like scoff over that. Colorado's looked like the best team in the league all season long, and they've played like it through this entire playoff. Yeah. And they are manhandling the two-time Stanley Cup defending champs. It's a really impressive playoff run. And as I said to Bourne, like, I, I just don't know how you can build a team like this again because they're just so deep. They've had so many things go right for them in the draft in their trades, all of those things. Um, but they've, man, they're, they're as fast a team as we've ever seen. And yeah. it's probably a good thing that the, the league is trending this way. Well, it is. At the same time, though, it's one of those things that's so hard to replicate. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, you can try to be Colorado, but, but good luck finding that many fast players that are that consistent. Yeah. You know, and can play the role as and well as they can. keep them together for a decent amount of time that they really grow chemistry-wise well, together. It's going to be tough. You know, Colorado, it's it's great for what they've done, but it may be a few years before they cycle back to yeah. being that great. I mean, they have so much to figure out this offseason. It's pretty remarkable, actually. Well, the best team Tampa built didn't get past the first round. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. And they had to go the route of, well, maybe we need a little bit more toughness on our team. Or at least guys that can play better along the walls a little bit at times, especially yeah. in that bottom six. They had not have guys that get hemmed in and can't win those battles. And that's what really matters in the playoffs so much. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah, Canuck Central. We are going to um, bring in Sam Costantino into the conversation coming up after 5.30. But I just wanted to touch on John Cooper a little bit more. You know, Bourne uh, said it well in that, you know, that was all the show, what he did. Last night, after the game, it was pretty strange how he went about it. And it does make more sense if you frame it as this had to be a show and it was all calculated from Cooper's perspective. But the whole, these guys have been through wars together, they've given me everything, all of this, uh, did feel a little bit defeatist to some level from John Cooper. Yeah, I mean, he apologized for it today. Yeah. Saying he was emotional and he kind of takes it back and you met with the media so quickly. I, I think, you know, we always always talk about people know. Yeah. 
I think that in the moment, you kind of knew that it's hard enough to beat Colorado. I mean, Colorado as it is. Now you're down 3 1. Now you got to win three in a row. You now you got to go to Colorado. You Cernak, Sorelli Zert. Yeah. I mean, all these guys are banged up yeah. as it is. Point can't play. You look a lot slower. I mean, you know how big of a task and ask that is. And I'm sure today they're rallying the troops a little bit. And sometimes, I mean, I've heard people say this too. And sometimes champions know they're like, hey, sometimes you have to just take it on the chin one day and, yeah. and, and wallow in misery. And then next day, wake up and say, you know what? Let's let's get after it. Yeah. You get re-energized again. And that's why I don't count out Tampa. Like I'm I'm terrified of counting out Tampa. I can't see them winning three games in a row. It's tough. I mean, I can see this. If they win tomorrow, I see it going to game seven. But I mean game seven at home for Colorado, I just don't know if Tampa can has any juice left in that, you know? Well, I mean they, we they they struggled in the thin air already. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how they play uh tomorrow night. We'll have that game for you on Sportsnet. 650. We are two weeks out from the NHL entry draft. So we're going to continue getting you prepared for what that first round might look like. Sam Cosentino is going to join us as we continue on Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Two weeks out from the NHL entry draft. Off the top of the show, we talked about Brock Besser and how there's a deadline with Besser coming up next week, and yet talks between him and the Canucks, still quiet Mm -hmm. for now. But there's a lot that's going on as the Canucks continue to prepare for the draft in Montreal. One of the things uh, about the draft in Montreal, I don't know if there's a better place to have the draft than Montreal. Yeah. I mean, Vancouver would have been better. Again. I mean, yeah. I mean, just for us, you know, selfishly. For, selfishly for us, yes. Yeah. But Montreal in the summer, Vancouver in the summer is great. Yes. Yes. Montreal in the summer, also great. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Montreal much? No. No? No, I need to travel to Montreal more. I need to, I need to uh, see Quebec more. Definitely don't do it in the winter. No, I don't want to do I mean, yeah. <laughs> Summertime trip. I'll do one of these. One of the, I mean, I, I want to explore BC more this year. Yeah. Uh, more staycations, yes. as we talked about yesterday mm-hmm. during Overrated, Underrated. <laughs> Uh, Sam Cosentino joins us now, uh, Sportsnet prospect analyst. Uh, thanks for this, uh, Sammy. Um, we're just talking about Montreal as as a destination for the NHL entry draft. It's it's got to be up there as like one of the top spots for the draft. Like Montreal in the summer is elite. Oh, no question. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to overplay it though, in case one of the bosses might be listening. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, is it going to be a better time than the time you had in Vancouver back in 2019? Well, that was a pretty good time. Yeah. I got to tell you. No, that was good times. A, yeah, it was, it was good times there too, but I don't want to say too much in case the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same statement applies. <laughs> same statement applies. Uh, I'm just here so I don't get fined. It's, uh, it's, this is your Marshawn Lynch moment, uh, Sammy. Uh, all right, so you know we're two weeks out from the draft now. How, um, you know, how are things shaping up in your eyes uh, for this draft? Do you think a lot of boards are kind of set? Do you think teams kind of know where this is headed? 
Uh, how do you feel two weeks out from the draft about how uh, how this is shaping up? I feel about as uncertain as this draft as any that I've worked, and I think a lot of the teams feel the same way. It's just uh, there's just so much uncertainty. And, and so the best way to describe it is typically we have tiers that we see in, in the draft class, and we can clearly define two, three, four, maybe even five tiers in the first round. And I think there's been an erosion of those tiers. When I look at the top three guys, I'd, I'd separate them from the pack. Uh, Slavkovsky, Cooley, and Shane Wright. But after that, uh, there's no clear definition as to what the next tier looks like. I think you could comfortably say, you know, the next six to eight names are probably going to be in, in some sort of order. But again, that uncertainty exists, and I think it really gets scattershot after that 10th pick. But there's no doubt in my mind we're going to see a surprise inside the top 10. And, and that surprise might be Wright not going first. It might mm. be, you know, New Jersey moving the pick, which has been rumored here for a little while. There are a lot of moving parts, and I don't think uh, teams are any more certain than they have been. And it's funny because, you know, you're making calls, you're trying to talk to your network, and every time I make a call with someone, they're in a meeting. So <laughs> yeah. that tells me the more meetings they're having is the less certain they are about things. Yeah, I mean, in those debates must be pretty legendary right now, and I'd love to uh, be a part and see what's happening with them. But I, I, the one thing I would say, though, it, which I find really interesting with this draft is who's going to be the guy that does end up going up? I mean, we've heard Marco Casper now being mentioned as a guy who could go in the top 10. Frank Nazar might be a guy who goes in the top 10. Would, would you say one of those two guys are one of the most likely kind of surprises, or do you have somebody else too that you could see sleek sneaking well, in? I think Casper. Casper is the guy for me that I think has been the, the fastest mover and the highest riser. And, you know, a lot of that talk uh, has come about since the end of the of the NHL combine and you know we had him in our room interviewing him and it took you about 30 seconds to figure it okay this guy is a true blue pro he came in a suit he was well coiffed he was engaging good hard handshake good body language sitting in the interview was uh you know not just sitting there saying oh when's this thing going to be over he was actually engaged and happy to answer the questions and very candid with his answer. So he's a guy. I think the next guy, though, that's going to be really interesting to watch is Kevin Korchinski, uh, the Seattle defenseman. Um, I know he tailed off a little towards the, the back half of the playoffs. I think he had 21 points in the playoffs for Seattle. Nine of those came in the first three games. He had you know, back-to-back-to-back three-point efforts. And then he kind of slowed down a little bit. But when you look at his skating ability and you see where the game's going, um, you, you know, you're talking about the defenseman being the fourth guy. You're talking about, you know, oftentimes leading the rush, initiating the rush, and I think Kevin Korchinski's that guy. And the more you watch Kale McCarr, the more you're saying to yourself, boy, I'd love to have a guy like that in my lineup. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing him to Kale McCarr, but I think he does some of the things that Kale does in terms of changing the whole dynamic of what you get from your D. You know, when we talk about Casper, it's uh, we've been really getting ready for the draft for almost a couple of months now, and and it seemed like he started in the 20s, and now here he is, and, and you have him uh, as in the top 10 of your rankings, uh, the latest ones up at sportsnet.ca. I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of, of Kokinemi, how he just kept rising and rising and rising, and all of a sudden he's, he's going third overall. Is Do you worry at all when players rise like that so late in, in, in the process, Sammy? Or is this just, hey, maybe this guy's a a late bloomer or we we were late getting to see how good of a player he could be? Well, I think when you get to the end of the year, there's a couple of things that you look for. First of all, his play in the SHL playoffs. And he played extremely well there. And he displayed a, 
you know, a real complete game. And then the next thing you look for is the men's worlds where he represented Austria. And if he wasn't the, the, the time on ice leader, including defensemen, he wasn't too far off. So that tells you that throughout the course of the year, you know, in, in Rogle, he's earned the confidence of the coaches to be able to play meaningful minutes into the playoffs. And the same thing for the men's national team, which is harder. Yes, I know it's Austria. They're not a powerhouse country. But still, you're playing against men. You're representing your country at a really important event. And you're the guy who's the most tenured guy at the end of the tournament. Speaks volumes as to not just his coaching staff in Rogel and what they think about him, but what the men's national team thinks about him. I think that's probably why. And I think the capper for me is, is, is honestly, is just meeting the guy. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why these, these face-to-face meetings at the Combine are so important because you get a real sense of, of what you're looking at in the future. Like, this is a guy that you could see walking up on the stage representing your organization in the future, being a good citizen. You get all of those things from this guy. And, of course, you know, the background of his story, leaves home at 16. Uh, his parents take him to, to Rogla. They, they stay there for two weeks. They go, see it, but you're on your own. <laughs> and at 16 years old, he's doing it. No, I mean, and that's, that's one of the things, too, right? I mean, it's one thing to figure out how talented a player is and how the skills translate. The hardest thing to figure out is how dedicated will that player be and how serious is that player going to be? And, and do they have the mental fortitude to make it? And I mean, it's easy to say that's the most important thing to figure out, but it's also almost impossible to nail down, isn't it, sometimes? It is a hard thing. And so what do you do to try and um, put some certainty into that equation? Mm-hmm. Is you do background in the family, you talk to teammates, coaches. Trainers are often a really good source because... If you're treating the trainer, uh, you know, in, in a kind of a disrespectful manner, it probably tells you a lot about what the guy is when, the, you know, when the camera's off. And for me, I want that same type of character when the camera's on as when it's off. So if he's treating the trainers well and the, and the equipment staff and so on and so forth, that speaks volumes to me. So you're doing all that background information. You're talking to teammates. You know, when you ask teammates, hey, who's one guy you'd like to take with you? If that same name reoccurs, you're probably talking about a guy, you know, like Casper that teammates want to go to go to battle with. So it's all that background information that you're doing that's trying to give you more certainty as to what that player is going to be like when he joins your organization and how, uh, you know, how willing is he to, to improve on his game. A player we've uh, kind of been interested in lately is uh, Noah Oslin. You have him at uh, 19 in, in, your, in your rankings. Uh, what do you like about this player, and, and how do you see him projecting in the NHL potentially? You know, I, I, I kind of defer to Jason Bukula here, who's our uh, the pro hockey group scout, has been working with us at Sportsnet, and uh, we'll work together during the again during the draft. But he's got that kind of dog-on-bone mentality, yet he's got skill. So when you see a player who marries that will and skill, what you're looking at is someone who you can say, okay, if it doesn't work out, if the A game doesn't work for him, and he's not playing in my top six and he's not being a producer – then we're pretty comfortable knowing that he's going to be able to play, you know, as a third line guy, potentially a, an energy guy. So there's a lot more certainty in him playing because he can play a variety of roles because he can play up and down the lineup. And because you know that whatever the task is put at hand, the work ethic is, is still going to remain the same. So I think for Oslin, that's, that's the key thing. It's that marriage of will and skill. Yeah. A little bit on the smaller and slight side. So you had, do have some concerns there, but overall, when you watch him play, he seems to be, 
you know, in on the action a lot. The puck's on his stick a lot. And if not, he's working hard to get it back. You know, you mentioned Kevin Korczynski being a guy that could find himself, you know, going up in the draft a little bit. One player that I like better as far as just watching, and just my opinion, I'm not saying sitting here and saying he's mm-hmm. going to be better, but just my opinion watching it, I like Denton Matejchuk more and as far as how his game is kind of concerned. But it seems like there is more interest in Korczynski league-wide. I mean, where do you see Matejchuk kind of going? Could he go a bit higher or do you see him kind of being in that 15-20 range maybe? I see him like really in that in that 15 range and so you know again with Korczynski you're getting a guy who's six one, who's a little bit bigger than Matejchuk at the I think he's listed as 5'10 511 yeah. so you know that's a that's a key piece for most NHL teams the fact that you yeah got a little bit more size to you but when it comes to Matejchuk I think he's you know he was given the green light by Mark O'Leary and Moose Jaw to, to be a big part of the play and of course he was providing a lot of offense I don't think that NHL scouts see that type of player when he gets to the National Hockey League. I think they see more of a steady puck-moving type who will provide some offense, but not at the levels that you see uh, in Moose Jaw. And I think with Korchinski, a lot of people feel that that offense is going to translate to the NHL. You know, the 61 assists or 68 assists or whatever he had there for, for Seattle. And that's probably the difference, and that's probably why Korchinski is rated a little higher. But, Sad, I see what you're saying because you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, I, I think I see a guy who's probably a little bit more rounded defensively. Mm-hmm. I see a guy who's, who's got real leadership qualities when he's out on the ice. I see a guy who also produces offense. And I think that's the difference in the eyes of the NHL scouts, that the level of offense created by Matejchuk is projected to be less than that of Korchinski. And then, of course, you have the size factor. We're talking a lot about the, the centermen and, and some of these defensemen here it's almost feeling like uh, maybe some of these wingers could, could get overlooked and, and end up being great values towards the end of the first round, Sammy. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and it's really an odd dynamic. Uh, when you look at the entirety of the first round, we're seeing smallish skilled forwards. We're seeing and have seen the emergence of defensemen who are bigger, the Owen Pickerings of the world, the Maverick Lamrues of the world, who are, have shot up the ranks because everyone, of course, gets excited about what they're seeing in the NHL playoffs, size on the back end. And then you're talking about some wingers who have technically less positional value than your D, than your centers, but guys who are ultra-skilled. So that comes into play when you get towards the latter stages of the first round because you're saying, all right, yeah, we would like the, that center of the D, but you know what, if we can get a super skilled winger who has that one element that really translates, whether it's the shooting, whether it's the playmaking, um, you know, the release, whatever that one key element is, and that's something we can hone in on on a draft that by the time you get to that point is really, really going to be very, very much even and more eye of the beholder than it is, you know, true projection. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, the guy that's really in our sights when looking at, you know, big winger being available a bit later is Danila Yurov. And if a guy like him is available at 15, and, and let's say for argument's sake, you have him available, you have a player like Matej Chuck available, I mean... Is it is he too good to pass up at that point, or does it kind of still do a team? Does a team like Vancouver, who may like the player, still lean towards positional importance if he's there at fifteen? You know, I, I'm not sure what the dynamic is like with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin. I can say comfortably with Jim Benning there, and, and uh, you know, when when you were looking at what happened with Trampkin, and then of course we're talking about Vasily Podkolzin. It required a lot of cajoling 
to get them to take Todd Colson. And I think he's going to be a really good, steady player for the Canucks down the road. But it took a lot to get there. And that was under Jim Benning. So what Patrick Alvine and what Jim Rutherford think about Russian players is obviously going to be altered some by what is there. But there is going to come a point, and with your off, it's going to be sooner than later, that he's sitting there and a team's going to say, you know what, yeah, we'll just wait it out if it's two years and we think we can get him over and we can start working on that now and hopefully by that two-year time frame or when his contract expires or when things might be more available in terms of visa for Russian players, then you might go down that road. The other thing, though, guys, you got to consider is what is the public backlash mm-hmm. if you go down that road? And that's mm-hmm. something to consider uh, probably more so in Canadian markets, um, you know, because there's more sensitivity, because there's more coverage. But is that a look that you want, especially in your first draft right. as general manager? So I don't know, you know, if that's going to be the type of player that Vancouver's looking for. From a pure skill standpoint, he's a top 10 all day long in this draft class, all day long. Well, and and this kind of brings me to uh, Mintikov, Pavel Mintikov, the defenseman who did play in the CHL this past year. So his circumstances are slightly different because he's not over playing currently in Russia or under contract in Russia. But could he still be a guy that slips because of the factor? I don't think so, Sat. And you know why? It's for that very reason. Yeah. Because he's over here. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's in California working with the skating coach right now. And by all accounts, there's no impetus for him to go back. So he's missed his family. I know he got a little tiny bit of family time at an undisclosed location outside of Russia when the season was over in Saginaw. Um, but that's been the extent of what he's seen of his family in probably the last 18 to 20 months. So you have to really feel for a kid who's separated from his brother, who I know is a good player and he's pretty tight with his parents, but he's, he's chasing the dream. And that says to me a lot about that young man, but from a pure logistical standpoint, it doesn't look now that he's going to have to go anywhere. And so now you're like, Oh, okay. This is a guy that we really like. Um, that has great offensive instincts, that was, you know, leading his team in scoring for a defenseman. That doesn't happen very often. Had all the top matchups against him because Saginaw was such a young team. And now he becomes uh, he comes at you with a lot more appeal. So I think th- those two cases, Sat, are different. And I don't anticipate, and I haven't heard anything about Minchikov having to go back. And I got to tell you, I had a conversation with Saginaw's coach this afternoon um, they're super pumped about the prospects of, of bringing him back and him taking even more of, of a bigger role for, for Saginaw here in the future. Sammy, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Okay, guys, take care. Thanks again. Uh, there is uh, Sam Costantino. Always fun catching up with Sam. And, you know, that is interesting because for as much as you talk about Yurov going down, Mintikov doesn't quite get that same sense. Yeah. You know, and he may still be there at 15 because – when you look at him and you look at some of the questions people have, somebody could love him. We've seen people like him as a top 10 prospects. Others don't quite as much. So regardless, he might be available. But uh, in the notion of Pavel Mintikov being there in the 20s might be a pipe dream. Well, this is the thing about where the Canucks sit at 15, uh, especially if they want to draft a defenseman. They'll probably have one of Korchinski, oh, yeah. Mintikov, or Matejchuk falling to them at 15. Now, neither of those players play the right side. No. So it's not like the ideal, but you still take the best player available. And just because, you know, there may not be an immediate need now, doesn't doesn't mean there may not be one there later. Somebody can play the right side, all these sort of things. But wouldn't Yurov be the best player available at 15? I think he would. Now, 
I don't have enough of a I don't have enough of a handle to be honest to say yeah. if the Canucks would take him over one of those defensemen. And well, he might be a guy that for at least two years you're not. Yeah, I'm not. Over. I'm not sure that's going to be the factor. If, if Vancouver takes him, um, doesn't take him. I don't know if it's because of the Russian factor. Ultimately, right. I think the the factor would be they like a player, another player better, and. I did talk to some people because as much as I like Europe a lot, but I'm like, okay, so why would he slip this much? Even if there is a Russian factor, like, would you still not take a player this talented? And it's like, he's good, but let's not get carried away either is what I also heard. So it's, it's one of those things, you know, you, you get wrapped up in him being called the top eight kind of prospect for most of this draft year. Yeah. And you kind of assume that he is, and maybe it wasn't quite, he's good, but maybe not quite as good as people make him out to be. I don't know. I still like the player, but it's, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think it is um, fascinating that Marco Casper has now jumped into the top 10. When we started doing draft previews, once the Canucks season was over, he was a guy kind of being pegged for the low 20s in earlier mock drafts. Now he's looking like a guy that no chance he ends up being available at 15 for the Vancouver Canucks. Mm -hmm. It is, I kind of get worried when a guy jumps that much, you know, what, what is really behind it? Is it the center? Are you getting wooed by, you know, the good character? Is uh, it Barrett Hayton all over again? Right. Is, is it, is it that sort of a thing? Because, you know, when, and obviously draft experts and analysts watch these players a ton more than I do. I'm going off little bits of tape and a lot of what I read, and people I talk to. But for a guy that, during the starts of the draft process and, and really getting into this, a lot of people projected as a third-line center to hear him now as a top-ten guy, that's, yeah, that's, I don't know. that's questionable to me. Yeah, I get it. But uh, we, when we brought him up a while ago, Casper, yeah. because he's been on my radar for Vancouver at 15 for a while because I, I, just, I see some links. Not yeah. reporting anything. I just see some links. So he's been on my radar. And the reason I think there are links is because a team like Vancouver may view him as more than a third-line center. Yeah. You know, and you look at him playing in the SHL. You look at all the things he's done. He plays a real mature game. And sometimes it's like, is he capable of doing more? Or is he just playing hockey the right way? Right. And he's still productive doing so. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you kind of get too caught up in it. Um, but I've spoken to people that really do think Marco Casper has that legit potential. And a guy like Frank Nazar, as much as he's getting a lot of love as high, having higher upside, I've had people say that, if anything, he projects more to be a third liner. So it's it just kind of shows you how much variance there is in this year's draft yeah. and what's going on. But I don't know. I wouldn't be afraid of Marco Casper a bit higher. From from everything I hear about him, it's it's more than a Barrett Hayton thing. But he's not going to be going top five. We're not talking about him taking that big of a leap. A lot of uh, really interesting things coming out of this draft. Going into this draft, you have... A lot of good wingers and a lot of good, talented, potential goal scorers that could end up falling into the mid-20s. I like the the reference you made a couple of days ago. Could it be like a Besser-Pasternak type of thing? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Where they end up, you know, a really good scoring winger ends up going somewhere in the 20s when you think of uh, Ogren or, um, you know, one of the, the many guys that are, potentially going to be 
available there into the 20s. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many. I mean, Kemmel, Lekimaki, those guys are probably going to go a little bit higher. Yeah. But who knows? If a, I mean, Urkus, too. All these guys can't go top 10. Nope. Somebody's falling out. Who's going to be sliding out? And there could very, I mean, Brock Besser in his draft year, there were people that had him as a top 10 prospect. Yeah. You know, some others had him a bit later, but there are those that viewed him as a prospect that high. I mean, we all, we still all seen the videos for Vancouver's draft day coverage that year and Jim Benning being like, oh, Besser would be great. There's no way he's going to be there. They had him like as a top 10 talent and they were just beside themselves that he was there in the 20s. And the thing about this draft is everybody you talk to has a very different list. And yeah. of course that happens every year, but it seems more pronounced this year than it does uh, in some others. So uh, we'll see two weeks out from uh, the first round of the NHL entry draft here on Canuck central. We will have you covered wall to wall with draft coverage. We'll take you through the first round live. And then even on day two, we plan on being here live as day two begins at the NHL entry draft. So be looking forward to that July 7th and 8th on Sportsnet 650. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sportsbook. Sat, we are getting ever so close to this being over. The books are starting to write off the Tampa Bay Lightning a little bit. Playnow.com has them at $2.50 on the money line to take game five and send this series back to Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, it's... I I just can't. Right now, I'm pausing. Yep. Like, I I put some stuff on Tampa to win and everything. You got to pause. Yeah. You got to pause. Just got to pause and hope pause. something changes. See what happens at this point. Um, there are good, there is good value though. I think what you have to look at now is some anytime goal bets mm-hmm. in this series. Yeah. And what's left. And one guy I can see getting a couple before this is over because he hasn't been too hot is Nathan McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKinnon is uh, right now, you know, way back of Kale McCarr to win the Conn Smythe. Yeah. Not McCarr happy. is uh, $1.16 for the Conn Smythe trophy. McKinnon is $6.00. It just seems like a foregone conclusion now, assuming Colorado does close this out, that McCarr will be the Conn Smythe winner. But you never know. NBA draft ongoing tonight. Mm-hmm. Paolo Banchero was uh, plus 500 to be the number one overall pick. Guess who was the number one overall pick? <laughs> so uh, upsets do happen. They do happen, and he scooped himself. It's great. <laughs> We'll talk more about it on the other side. Canadians going high, two already going in the top 10, a couple others that could go in the first round. I mean, it's 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 really cool seeing this amount of Canadians having success and getting to the NBA. Now, can we just get the Canadian national national team to yeah. make an Olympics? Yes, take advantage <laughs> of this group of talent that you have. Uh, all right, uh, that's coming up after 6 o'clock. Lots to get to still and uh, and more on Canuck Central.